Christine's making a face because all of the all of the above. things in her mind are pointing to her best friend being a cult leader. Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez. And I'm Melissa Grushka. And today we're going to talk about something super fun. Are you ready to talk about, get ready, cults? Oh, yes. Ooh. Bean. Bean. Hi. 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 Love to see your face. Happy belated Thanksgiving. Happy belated turkey time to you as well. Hope it was lovely. Was it lovely? It was so lovely. That's my delight. Oh, it is? Yeah. Uh, mine was going to be a cringe. Oh, okay. Should I do my delight, delight and then you yeah. do your cringe? Yeah, sure. We got to come home to Maryland and be with my family and my oh, that's friends. Beautiful. It was so lovely. We even did a Friendsgiving. With you did? My really good friends in from our old neighborhood, and everyone Aww. came over, and we had Friendsgiving on Monday night, and then my whole family, my sister, my brother, came up from North Carolina. My nephew <gasps> came down from New York. My other nephew came up from North Carolina. My other sister came from Vermont. I mean, we were all together. Wow. It was wow. so awesome. We had such a good time. The kids were in heaven. Anyway, it was just – it was delightful. I'm trying to just stay in delight mode and not sad mode because it really – I just miss home and I miss my peoples and I miss my family and I miss the comfort of just like being around people who get you and just – you know what I mean? Get you, get you. It, it reminded me of how isolated you can be all the way across the country in California. But I And I'm to coming to visit soon. Yeah. Yes. But I'm going to come visit soon and we're going to hold each other and stare into each other's eyes. Beautiful. So that was my Thanksgiving. It was delightful. That's our family's big holiday every year. We don't do anything really nice. the way we do Thanksgiving. What about oh, you? You have a cringe already? Uh, my cr- it was just mm, my cringe was oh. really just going to take us back to Halloween because my Halloween candy is still out and I can't stop eating Tootsie Rolls. Oh, I okay. honestly feel like I'm a gigantic Tootsie Roll. <laughs> you should Normally, come dressed as one. I don't. I love Tootsie Rolls, but I don't like go out and buy them in the store. But when they're in the Halloween candy every single year, I can't quit. I cannot quit. Yeah. I have every time I walk Tootsie by, Rolls? I have to take it. I don't. What do you want from me? I don't think that's. You don't have to be judgmental. I'm already upset that I can't stop eating them. I do like them. Have you ever had vanilla Tootsie Rolls? Ew. Oh, no. Bean, vanilla? Yuck. Is that because you? Because it's white? <laughs> oh, no, jeez. No. You know what? Okay. The consistency of a Tootsie Roll stresses me out. It just feels like cavities to me. It gets all <gasps> sticky and stuck. Girl, I have watched you eat gummies like it's nobody's business. Do not talk to me about it's sticky and stuck. Gummies are not the same consistency. I know, but a Tootsie Roll is tougher. It feels like a stale piece of candy. I know. I like that. Oh, you Truth like Truth talk? Stillness. I like when the – I like gummy bears only when they're stale. Ew. Bean. Yeah. But you know what you love, and it always reminds me of you? You love Turkish Delight, which is very light and fluffy and gummy and not stale. It's true. Right? true. Or do you like stale Turkish Delight too, probably? I probably would like stale Turkish Delight. Yeah. I've sent you all kinds of Turkish Delight and halva. I've sent you all kinds of Middle Eastern treats. 
you're my Turkish delight. Well, I don't think that's that cringy other than it's Tootsie Rolls. I think if you had said another candy, I would have been totally cool. I was just saying that like I have no self-control and I can't walk by it and see it. Like I have to take a Tootsie Roll. And I think they're all still left because I believe other people may have a similar sentiment to you. Yes, correct. Because Tootsie Rolls are gross. It's just accepted facts. The other fun thing that keeps it fresh is that on Halloween, you get all the different shaped and sized Tootsie Rolls. You get that thick duty log one. You get the skinny long one. You get the short minis. So it's like a surprise. I see the wrapper poking out. I grab it. I don't know what it's going to be. It could be anything. What do you do with the big thick ones? Don't make the joke. (laughs) Suck it in. Don't say it, Michael Scott. How do you eat them? I mean, do you eat the whole thing in one sitting? Do you you stuff it all in your mouth? Oh, in one sitting? That would be horrible. Yeah, in one sitting. But like you you like bite it off? Yeah, you can't do the whole thing. That I mean, that would like straight rip your teeth out. But doesn't biting a Tootsie Roll off also hurt your teeth? Okay, we're getting no, to it. It's sort of perforated. Week. It's sort of perforated. Oh, it is? Anyway, if anybody out there likes Tootsie Rolls, I would like you to join my Tootsie Roll cult, which leads me into today's topic, which is Oh, cults. good one. <laughs> Um, I happen to be, I will say, I don't remember who, I think it might have been you or our producer, has been discussing doing cults for like, I don't know, five months now. Like the concept of cults has really gotten us excited multiple times. I am really excited to talk about it. I'm a little scared. It came up because our sound editor, who was on the podcast, Anushri, has repeatedly asked me how what I do is different from (laughs) cult leadership. (laughs) No filter in Nushri. Um, no, also, no, I just... That's how it started. I think it's fascinating to see how easily people... Well, not easily, but it's definitely a an interesting manipulation, but how people are capable of being fully brainwashed and believing in some group thing that is crazily unhealthy for them and those around them. But it happens. I mean, we're all, a lot of people are susceptible more so than you would think, which is why I think it's fascinating. Agree. I think that looking into this episode, the thing that blew me away is how easily we can judge people who join cults and how easy it is to join one. Right, right. And without even like totally noticing what's going on. It's like a very smooth process because these cult leaders are something else. You know what I mean? They're something. All right. Well, let's get into it. I thought maybe I could start us off by defining what the hell is a cult and then telling you why people join them. What do you think? I think that would be great. Thanks. And then I think you have a good story for us of a cult. I'm going to talk about a cult. I would like everyone to take a Take a guess about what cult I'll be talking about. There's so many good oh, ones. There's, yeah, there's, there's political a lot of- ones. There's some good sex ones, some real hot sex oh. cults. Yeah. I don't think that they're hot sex cults. I know. That's just me talking. Rewind. In fact, yeah. <laughs> In fact, That's another it's another Michael quite, Scott moment. It's quite terrible what happens. Anyway, yeah. why don't you just lead us out of the gate with telling us what a cult is, please? Okay. I actually, for this week, looked up. Mm-hmm. The dictionary definition. So we could just ground Webster's ourselves. Dictionary yes. so says. According to the dictionary, a cult is a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. One, a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. <gasps> See, dun, that's dun. not fair, right? A misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. I'm misplaced. in your cult. <laughs> it's not misplaced, cult of though. Bean. 
It's properly um, placed. All right. So that's the definition of cults. And like you said, there are so many of them in history that have sadly ended yeah. in crazy tragedy. Tragedy. Yeah. I think the one that comes up a lot in people's minds, or at least for me, is Jonestown. Totally. Um, and Reverend Jim Jones, this is in the 70s. He developed the People's Temple and he was preaching things that people were really attracted to, which we'll talk about in a minute, because there's actually three or four main things that attract people to cults that are the same across most cults oh, really? that I want to get into. Yeah. Um, and in 1977, all these abuse allegations started happening um, here in the U.S. where he had the People's Temple. So he moved to Guyana to build Jonestown as a utopian paradise. It instead basically turned into a prison where people right. were working and being treated terribly. Um a congressional delegation came out to Jonestown to investigate, and that then caused Jim Jones to force the entire uh, residents of Jonestown to drink a poisoned juice, which, by the way, did you know that that's where drinking the Kool-Aid came from? Yeah. Oh. Okay. I, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I um, did. When you were saying it, I was going to say Kool-Aid, but yeah. Yeah. So they all drank this juice where 909 people, including children, died. Can't, it's like so hard to fathom. Somebody saying, drink this. And, and you do it. I know. And like my kids, I know. But it happens, right? Yeah. According to a lot of different articles, there's thousands of cults around the world. And thousands? there are thousands. Mm -hmm. And there are various forms of cult. There's religious. Mm -hmm. There's political. Mm -hmm. And there's self-improvement. Oh, which is uh -oh. why I think we keep <laughs> getting the question from Anushri about whether I am trying to start a cult, which I am not. But really, it's, you know, another definition I saw that was less dictionary-y, but felt yeah. really practical was a group or movement with a shared commitment to a non-typical ideology led by a charismatic leader. Uh-oh, you are charismatic. <laughs> Uh-oh, we might end this episode with the takeaway that I'm trying to start a cult. And in that regard, it's not so negative. Like being, you know, following something in a, with a charismatic leader, it even leads to, you know, there's the cult following for movies and stuff right. when there's like one special movie. So I feel like cult gets a bad rep, but sometimes it could be a lovely thing. Like in Well, like Swifties. Instance. People are always like Swifties right. are part of a cult. Right. Totally. They are. But I think that we are really judgmental about people who join cults. And so I got really curious about what is it that makes people want to join cults? What is the psychology behind it? And I actually think they're very common needs. But before I tell you what I found, the other thing that I think is important is to just define what the characteristics of being in a cult are. So that okay. we are talking about, because again, you just, we just went there, right? Like you could define anything as a cult. So let's totally. just get really narrow in what we mean when we're talking cult right now. So you were like, so one, that we can all understand that I am not running not, a cult. <laughs> it's not me. Um, okay. So basic characteristics. One, a high level of commitment is demanded of the followers. Mm -hmm. Two, there's a strict hierarchy. There's a major separation between unsuspecting members and right. the leadership. Right. Um, three, it provides answers to life's biggest questions. Oh. Four, it then gives you a recipe to change those things for the mm -hmm. better for you. 
<laughs> Stop looking at me like that. Uh-huh, and then uh-huh. lastly, there are formal and informal systems of control to keep members obedient. That's, that's where you're not a cult. Thank God. <laughs> the other characteristic that wasn't commonly mentioned but is definitely part of cult in modern society is that they kind of run like an MLM or a period pyramid scheme um, (laughs) where older members or members who have not older members who have been there longer are also tasked with recruiting newer members. And that continues to branch out and out and out. You saw that even with the most recent, um, the Nixivism. Yeah. How do you you say that? Nexium? I'm not sure. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it works like a f- pyramid scheme. And actually, the members that go out and recruit have talked to reporters and said that they're really encouraged to go out and focus on people who are either new to an area hmm. or have undergone some kind of loss. So you're oh, looking for vulnerable like people praying. who yeah. feel lonely and not attached to anything. The other thing I thought was fascinating is that more than two-thirds of cult members are recruited by a friend. A family member or a coworker. Oh, so someone you trust. Exactly. So it's not like you're just like magnetized to something. <laughs> Bean's making a face because all of the all of things the in above. her mind are pointing to <laughs> her best friend being a cult leader. Um, no, but the people that you it's not we look at it like, whoa, how are you just like attracted to this yeah, crazy yeah. cult leader? Right. But no, it's a friend that's telling you, no, I have an answer to your loneliness. I have an answer to totally. what's making you feel um so disassociated. And then there's a promise of reward or a change in life. I saw um I did read something that also a lot of these people who do become who do join cults. Uh, have always kind of felt isolated and like they don't fit in with mainstream society. And then they find what they feel is more like-minded people to them, like more of these sort of, um, I don't want to call them outsiders, but people who never were like kind of, who never fit in. And they find all these other people, misfits sort of, just like themselves. And they're like, oh, wow, a community. Yeah. But I think that when you look at the psychology of joining cult, it's beyond just being a misfit. I actually think you're going to relate to a lot of these. So the first one is Uh desiring a greater sense of community. So people who long for human connection, who feel like, and this is why they say new to an area. I mean, I can relate just having relocated to California a year and a half ago, this sense of like, whoa, I'm not as deeply connected to a community as I have been in the past. And right. that does feel isolating. isolating. Sure. Um, and actually in that Nexum documentary, this woman named Jane talks about a lot how she was drawn to Nexum because of the sense of community. She said she struggled with forming deep relationships with other women in her life. And if you remember, that oh. cult was all about women recruiting other women. Yeah. And she heard what a close-knit community the Nexum members were, and it was a women's group. And that's why she became interested. So, you know, people talk a lot about how a hallmark of any cult is because the cult leader creates a pack mentality. And that pack mentality is like, come join us. It's that peer pressure of it's way better over here. It's cooler over here. And if you're just wanting to connect with people that you have something in common with, that pack mentality can be a draw. So you're not necessarily drawn to the leader. You're drawn to the community. Now that you're saying it, I'm like, should I join a cult? That sounds kind of (laughs) nice. I told you. Right? (laughs) Yeah. So the second psychological reason is that they're in a state of extreme vulnerability. Mm. Um, An individual 
person's life goals aren't happening the way they want. Things have happened that have been disappointing or tragic in their lives. And, um, you know, people say that, you know, these reporters that have written about this say formal former cult members say that they wouldn't have joined this cult if they weren't going through a difficult life event when they were approached to join. Interesting. So there is absolutely this fragility, the trauma, the grief, the loneliness that attracts people to it. And these leaders are like preying on them too. Right. Exactly. Um, The third psychological draw is the us versus them mentality that's created in cults. So cults really focus on how systems are broken and how they have the answer to solving these systems. So Jonestown that I mentioned, when they moved um, out of the U.S. to start this utopian society, it was about uh, sharing. It was about everyone having access to resources. It was about fighting against all of the repression and oppression that happens in a capitalistic system or in a political yeah. system. See, you're getting recruited and I'm not even I trying. Try. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they promise this this solution and they give an us versus them, which then makes this pack mentality grow even deeper. Um, and what they say is that this happens through a lot of mind control. And brainwashing, mm-hmm. where members are recruited and brought in, and then they're joining meetings and talks where the similar messages are being told over and over again, and you begin to become brainwashed. Um, this was really interesting. They did a survey in 1980, and 54% of high school students in the San Francisco Bay Area reported at least one recruiting attempt by a cult member. Wait, when? 1980. When? It's a hot time for the cults. Yeah, 54%. Uh, 40% reported three to five contacts of trying to be recruited into a cult in the 80s. Oh. Uh, and one of the articles I read says that cults basically exist at every layer of society and totally. they exist within every country that they've looked into. And there are cults that just begin from a sense of wanting to uh, come together around a major issue. So QAnon is talked about a lot as having very similar psychological tendencies to a cult, which is Mm. to try to change a system and then a lot of brainwashing that can occur because people are just so at their wits end and exhausted with the system that they live in and feel so unseen and unrepresented in that system. And there's a like a high level of paranoia, which feeds into that us versus them mentality. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. What do you when you hear those psychological tendencies? Don't they feel really relatable? They do, and even with yeah. the cat, with the being it spread among all different groups of people, it's because that desire to belong and find a community is has nothing to do with where you live, how much money you make, who you are, what color your skin is. Everybody wants to belong to something. Belong exactly. It's like a core need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I also think the reason I wanted to just start there is because we can have such hubris when we look at people who join cults and be like, oh, not Silly me. Goose. How ridiculous. Right. How could right. you? And, you know, these are really smart people who will have come out of the system and be like, yeah, I mean, it was pretty easy for me to trust the person who is my right. friend or my family member or my coworker to feel like there's an answer to 
my isolation or my frustration about the system I, I work in. And this was a solution. And it's a slot. It's a baby step sliding scale. Yeah. Just do this. Okay. Now just do this. Now, right. if you come it's to our meeting, slope. well, actually, right. why don't you move in here and bring your family? All right. Well, now, why don't you, you know, go out there and try to find new members? It just yeah. happens so organically that I think it would be pretty easy to find yourself in that slope if you're feeling particularly vulnerable in your life, which we all have phases. Have you ever watched those documentaries on cults? They all say the same thing. Like, I get it. It sounds crazy that I was able to fall into it, but it just happened. Yeah, exactly. So that's why people join. You were going to tell me what cult leaders have in common. What are the traits of a cult leader? I mean, I think we just kind of addressed some of it. One of the biggest things is the riz, the charisma. They're always I, like, why a, did I ever teach you that word? I don't know. Nobody uses it. I've never really even Nobody heard it over it. here, but I like it. Okay. It's a cute way of saying charisma. It's cute. It's cute. Thanks. Anyway, uh, so they're usually like super dynamic also. They demand loyalty. So there's not a lot of room for criticism. That's one of the big things is that they can't appear to anybody as though they don't know what they're talking about or that they're right. doing anything wrong. So you cannot really ever speak up against them. Um, because, And they also want you to believe that they're all knowing. And that's basically it, that they have this dynamic personality, super charismatic. Um, they don't allow anyone to negatively speak about them or about what they're doing. And they just slowly become these like idols to people. And isn't narcissism a very important trait? Yes. Yes. I'm just going to say yes. I mean, I think there's also extreme mental illness, but extreme intelligence and mental illness combined. Right. Right. But I brought up narcissism because I think that when you look at these cult leaders, the thing they have in common is also that everything is designed Around to them. benefit self. Right. And so empathy is absolutely missing, although they can have the charisma Same. that communicates right. empathy right. that, you know, everything they're constructing is about solving some deep wound within and whether that is I need a bunch of women fawning over me or mm. I, you know, want to feel like I have control over this group of people and they'll do what I say or I'm going to be the one to suck it to the system because it let me down somehow. It's all about them. I wonder if they go into these endeavors with that mentality of like, I'm going to get a bunch of people to follow me or if they like, it just kind of happens. Yeah. With their personality, they got they get a few and then they're like, oh, this feels good. And they keep going. I'm curious. I there has to be some desire to control, not just control, but like for their ego to feel like they are so powerful that they can get people to follow what they ask them to do. Like there has to be some desire to get that egoic need met of of yeah. getting people to follow them. They were like, I'll be either a politician or a cult yeah, leader. Exactly. A hundred percent. Or a celebrity. Anyway, when you think of cult leaders, come on, give me another oh. one other than Jonestown. Okay. Jonestown, David Koresh. Oh, David Koresh. Love that. Yeah. No. Right? Nexum. Yeah, but I forget what the leader of that one D was. Rainier. Keith Rainier. Yes. Oh, and he would tattoo his initials onto them in like a symbol. Did you watch that documentary? Yes. In Oof. very private places. Oh, very private yeah, places. Yeah, very upsetting. Um, right, come on. Give me oh the God, most I'm missing famous. a big one. 
You are. Do you want me to Wait, give what's it to a you? hint? Wait, give me a hint. Um, I'll give you a hint. Um, Sharon Tate is my hint. Oh, Manson. That's what you're going to tell us about? Yeah, because would you like to hear Trigger my connection? Warning. Trigger warning. Would you like to hear you my connection? You have a connection? connection to Charles Manson? I mean, like not really, but sort of. One of oh his main Here we gals. go again. Her uncle, <laughs> girlfriend's cousin. Here we go. This is even better. I like to okay. pick people that I have some sort of something with because then it makes it even more fascinating for me while I'm researching. Of course. Do you, I don't know if people know of her as well, but she was one of his big, one of the big Manson girls. Her name was Squeaky Fromm. She tried to assassinate Gerald Ford. Oh my God. Anyway, she was in prison in West Virginia for a long time and my mom was her doctor in prison. What? <laughs> Shut up. She liked my mom. Of course. Everyone likes my mom. Who doesn't like your mom? But wait a minute. What does your mom say about her? She said she was quiet. She didn't speak a lot. She was in like a, she was in like one of the facilities that house people outside of the general population. I don't think she could be among the general population. She actually Whoa. was telling me today, I talked to her about it this morning. So she was in this special facility and they had like a den, kind of sounded nice. And they were getting a microwave because <laughs> microwaves just came out. And so okay. he was not interested in the microwaves. She was like really freaked out about it and kind of annoyed that they were putting a microwave in because of all the waves. And anyway, that's my Manson. That's my Manson connection. Wow. That is a real ass connection. connection. I'm I sorry I made fun of you. That was a good yeah. one. Yeah. My mom was Squeaky Fromm's doctor. All right. Well, how did Charles Manson get people to do the things? Okay. So I'm just going to give you a quick little... He It was also called the Manson Family, which is super yeah. creepy. Anyway, he was a career criminal. He was an aspiring musician. He was like in and out of prison a bunch in the um, 60s. And then he was one after his release from one of his prison stints, he began attracting mostly young women, surprise, surprise, in California because he was super charismatic and he was smart and he had all of these like teachings and they were really intrigued. One of his big things was there, he had like this big doomsday philosophy that actually had some elements of Scientology uh, and some fringe mm -hmm. hippie shit, which I probably would end up getting behind. He did claim one of his big claims, which we do know, was there was an impending race war coming, which he referred to as Helter Skelter after the Beatles song, which sidebar, who knew Manson had like an obsession with the Beatles. Did you know that? No. The Beatles are all about peace and love. I know. So he had this obsession with the Beatles and he became obsessed with their White Album. And then he started interpreting their music as like predictions of uh, this apocalyptic race oh, war that wow. was coming. And it really like influenced his insanely deranged mentality. Um, well, probably yeah. also under the influence of some psychedelics. Totally. So he really liked Helter Skelter and the song Piggies, and he thought that they were representative of what was to come. Wow. Yeah, they lived on okay. these communal ranch outside of Los Angeles, which I didn't know was actually a deteriorating Western movie set. Oh, yeah. Oh, you knew that? You know how I knew that? There's a movie with Brad Pitt. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's directed by Quentin Tarantino, so it's super gory and graphic. Ooh, and I it's basically reimagining what could have happened if the Manson family had been stopped. That's all I'll say. Oh, okay. It's really good. But anyway, I knew that because in the movie, they're in this old ranch. ranch. Yeah. 
So they live in Spawn Ranch and they're living rent free. They just have to like do it in exchange for labor, you know, whatever. Um, And he made it seem like it was this frontier lifestyle. So he made it seem like it was appealing and not some like dilapidated rundown uh, movie set. Um, Yeah. So can I just say something? Yeah, of course. (laughs) We were talking about what would attract people to this. Like now that we're thinking about the psychology of people who would have said yes, think about young women in who have come to Hollywood to try to make it. And think about how crushing that can be to their soul and to their dreams. And so then the promises, if you're charismatic, that you can make to a young woman about how either you'll help her get there or, you know what I mean? Like, it totally makes sense now why it was easy for him to recruit people. Totally. So his manipulation, which they obviously all cult leaders do, he uh, practiced a lot of things to keep these women in line essentially and to buy into his totally asinine philosophies he practiced some isolation so he would move people from um like from wherever they were and make them completely dependent on this community where they were living like they couldn't right. they needed him and the group for everything they needed to do lsd right. which you mentioned he used a lot of lsd trips and drug use to break down people's resistance and make them more uh open to his suggestions and theories mm-hmm. and then also doing the drugs together sort of bonded them they had this like experience of being super high together yeah lack of sleep sleep deprivation which can mess any rational thinking human being up um i think we've yeah. all been there when you if you don't sleep enough you can go insane and it yeah. weakens their wills and their their walls come down more easily yeah um he created a lot of fear among the group discussing this impending race war that he was obsessed with. And he created that us versus them mentality that made them want to cling together even more. Um, he used flattery like a lot of cult leaders do. He would tell that these people that they were actually the chosen ones and they're the ones who would survive after this helter skelter race war happened. They were like, Oh, well we got to stay here then. Um, sexual control, which, God knows it's always involved with these cults. Um, he also, that's a very easy way for him to exert control. Violence, he would have these random bursts, outbursts of violence. Um, so it made people really fearful of him and mm-hmm. scared to disobey him. They would see what happened to people who disobeyed and he would could get really violent. And he, this whole helter-skelter thing was like a mission statement for him. And it made them feel like they belonged to something more than just themselves. It was like a purpose almost. Like, yeah. we're going to survive this race war together. We're going to come out enlightened and better. And anyway, he stripped all these people of their identities by doing all of these things. They just felt complete victim to his manipulation. At its peak, they had 100 members. I always thought it was like wow. 20. Yeah, yeah, me too. Also, I didn't know I didn't know this. I don't know if this is common knowledge. He convinced his followers that he was a reincarnation, shout out to our last reincarnation episode, of Jesus Christ and the fifth angel prophesied in the book of Revelation. Really? I didn't know that either. Yeah, me either. Okay. Interesting. So the biggest thing we know, the biggest story we know is in 1969, he ordered four of his most loyal followers to murder people at the home of Roman Polanski. The right. saddest part was... Roman Polanski's wife was Sharon Tate and she was eight and a half months pregnant and Mm. Manson encouraged them to do it as gruesome as possible. So they did terribly. So 
Anyway, so they brutally murdered her, poor girl, and they wrote pig in blood on the walls, which again is a reference back to that piggy song um, from the Beatles. Oh, yeah. And then the following day, I'm not sure why, but they killed these two grocery store owners. I don't know how that was even related. Um, But the murders were intended to incite Helter Skelter by framing the Black Panthers. Oh, But eventually- They were all arrested and convicted for the murders. So he was never, he didn't actually do any of the murdering, but he was convicted for organizing all of this. And he was um, sentenced to life in prison and he died in 2017. Wow. I did look it up. My question, why was he obsessed with Roman Polanski? And And it says here that he was actually obsessed with the home that that Polanski lived in. He wanted, Manson wanted to be a rock star. And he ordered the murders of Tate and four others because the previous owner of the house, Terry Melcher, was a music <gasps> producer who had refused to make a record with Manson. Oh, that is super creepy. I thought it had something to do with like rejecting Hollywood standards and rejecting, you know, popularity and what's trending. But this is what I mean about narcissism. Like that is 100% totally. about obviously Him. his needs his own revenge. and convincing yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Great. Yeah, that is um really lived in the imaginations of so many people, the Charles Manson totally. family and what he convinced them to do. And obviously how like racist he was and dangerous he was to inciting the race wars. Right. You know, the more we're talking about it though, and I were we just were we talking I don't know if we were saying it on air or off air, were we talking about how cults and organized religion have some similarities? We talked about it, not on air. We talked about it when we were talking about this episode. Yeah, um, I think that comes up a lot. I think people question that a lot. That's what I wanted to know. What do you think the actual difference is? Because obviously they're not the exact same, but there there is some overlap there. Well, let's go back to the list of characteristics of a cult. I think the list is similar to highly organized religions. Um, Agreed. Demanding a high level of commitment a hierarchy between the members and the, you know, ones that are guiding or leading, right? providing an answer to life's biggest questions, recipe for change of the suffering that's caused. So I think that there's a lot of overlap in how cults get formed. And actually, when I looked into this, I found out that the word cult comes mm-hmm. from the word oh, cultus. Yeah. Latin. Um, and it describes people who cultivated the worship of gods. Yes. It came to mean an excessive devotion, but cult actually comes from a religious word, and many religions began as cults. Many of our current religions began right. as cults and then integrated into modern society. And I think that when any organization, any system is asking you not to use your own mind and intuitive wisdom, and right. follow what they're saying instead, it is dangerously close to overlapping a cult. So I, you know, I think that the difference between a religion is that a religion is about guide, guidance and guidelines and cults are about control. But right. I think that the more controlling any system becomes and the more it tries to tear you away from your own sense of truth, your right. own sense of what you know deep in that reservoir of wisdom, right? the more it's about controlling you and the more it becomes about cults. So how do you pull back? Like if you're, how do you pull back and focus back on your intuitive wisdom if you're yeah. kind of being subjected to what have you, religion, cults, whatever? 
Yeah, maybe that's why I'm so fascinated with cults and religion as someone who teaches people how to reconnect to their intuition. Right. Because I really believe that we have been totally trained to be susceptible to things like cults because we've been trained not to trust ourselves. We've been trained right. that other people have the answers and that we don't. And right. that training happens to us in our education systems. It mm-hmm. happened, you know, we're, we're told the answers in a book, not in some creative method of, of going out there and experiencing life and searching. We're taught that in our political systems where we're looking to people to solve these problems who often lie to us and guide us in a direction that's terrible. We're seeing that happen And not right for now. our benefit, right? Yeah. Even though they claim. Yeah. We're guided that way by the media that tells yeah. us that they know better, how to look better, how to be better, um, how to be more valuable. And we're guided that way by religion that tells us there's good and evil. And if we make the wrong choices, we're going to fall in the wrong category and be unredeemable. And the answer to all of that for someone like me is that you actually are tapped in to a deep resource of wisdom from within. And that being caused to forget that is what detaches you from the ability to use that and from your connection to this higher self, this higher frequency that's aligned to truth and wisdom is that that indoctrination. And so I think cults are an out Put. They are a branch off of that same tree of don't trust self, trust these other people. They've got the answers. And my entire life's work is about being like, fuck no, you have the answers. The answers That's are why you're you. not a cult leader. That's being. why I'm not a cult. And in That's fact, I say to away. people, I say to people, my purpose in life is that you don't need me anymore. Right. That's what good looks like to me. But I do think that self-help, modern day self-help does sometimes edge very closely to cult mentality around things like, you know, believing that that celery juice is the answer and that is the answer alone and therefore you abandon all of these other things, for example. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there is a lot of conversation right now about how self-help does really get dangerously close to this idea around cult mentality. But again, if you are following a self-help guru, or a personal growth podcast like Signal, <laughs> and you're not being encouraged. Subscribe, <laughs> subscribe like, follow. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. If you're if you're not being encouraged to check in with yourself around the things right. you hear. In fact, I think that's why I was so excited to have you join me in making a podcast. Because what mm-hmm. I didn't want is for mm-hmm. me to be sitting here spouting all the things that right. I know to be true around your intuitive wisdom and how to be happy and healthy and successful without being checked by someone else who's like, wait a minute, I don't agree with you. That disagreement right there is so healthy. It's such right. a good reminder to keep checking in with yourself. And I think that's the voice that Melissa brings to this podcast for me is, hey, wait a minute, that didn't sit right with me. I want to ask more questions about it. That's what it's about. It's about following that voice within and letting that voice lead you to your own truth instead of accepting someone else's truth as the truth. I love that. And I love that clarity now. Now I know for a fact this is not a cult. (laughs) I'm kidding. You know I love your work and I think it's amazing. And I don't think you're anything like Manson. Maury does not (laughs) equal Manson, guys. 
<laughs> That's my takeaway. Yeah, well, I don't think there's a better takeaway than that. I will say that we um, a lot of what I brought to the conversation comes from a New Yorker article uh, from 2021, What Makes a Cult? a cult. And we'll link that in the show notes if you want to read more about that. But you guys, as always, thank you for listening. And if you are enjoying this show, the best way to support us right now is to leave us a review and also to share this podcast with your friends uh, and ask them to give us a listen and do the same. So thank you in advance for doing that. But not like in a cult-like way. Don't tell your friends to come in in a cult. Just like in a fun way so they can listen to themselves and understand themselves better. Yeah, totally casually go recruit your friends. I'm breezy. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Love you, Bean. Love you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Gushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushree Thekadet, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.